Welcome to the Outback Incubator, home of the future of work, industry and people, with your host, I4O's Oliver Kelly. Welcome back to the Outback Incubator. Uh, my name is Oliver Kelly. Today we've got an interview with a very special person who's talking to us all the way from Canada today. We have Pete Bombacci, who is founder of the Gemwell Project, prior country head for Movember, and is someone who is taking great strides to make a positive difference to the world. Pete, welcome to the show. Ollie, great to be here, my friend. Always good to uh, talk to uh, the home country of Australia. It's great. Thank you very much. And you just come back from a trip um, up north, is it? Yeah, we're up north here, uh, just north of Toronto, where we live now. And, uh, you know, I guess it's the equivalent of heading into the outback and just the time away. And also, obviously, with the uh, coronavirus, uh, a little bit of an escape from the, uh, the close contact that you get in the bigger city. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, we're going to talk a little bit more about the coronavirus, of course, with everything that's going on um, in just a while. But Pete, if you could just do me the honor of letting everybody, uh, all the listeners and viewers here know. So, you know, who are you and, and what's your story in regards to everything before and leading up to the Gemwell Project? Yeah, well, um, my name is Pete Bambachi. I'm the founder of the Gemwell Project, the human connection movement whose mission is to make the world a happier and healthier place by reminding people about the importance of face-to-face -face social connection and, more importantly, uh, inspiring them to take action. Um, before I launched this three and a half years ago, I spent 20 years in the hospitality and beverage alcohol industry. Um, if you've consumed it, I probably marketed it to you or sold it to you at some point. And, uh, and then I went and ran Movember Canada for five years, which was an incredible opportunity to make the shift from for-profit to not-for-profit and also be part of a, of a movement uh, that raised the consciousness of men's health. Uh, as everybody in Australia knows, the home country uh, of Movember. And uh, it was during that time, both in the hospitality industry, where I recognized how much I enjoyed uh, seeing the smiles on people's faces when we came together with family and friends, whether it was in a bar or a restaurant, at home, on the street, at the community event. And then when I was at Movember, the opportunity to talk a lot of, to a lot of um, health experts who kept talking about the importance of social connection, you know, whether it was in, uh, in uh, recovery, whether it was in crisis, or probably most importantly, that we probably don't do enough of it as a preventative action. And so those experiences in the alcohol business and also uh, in my time at Movember um, really led me to, I think we have a need in society to help people, inform people about the research behind social connection and the value of it. And then more importantly, uh, be a catalyst to make it happen. Because up until just recently, uh, up until the, the corona, you know, if I tried to stop people to find time to get a connection, they were all too busy busy schedules. And so what we wanted to be was a catalyst to get people to rally together and, and get connected. So that's kind of the background. And really, you know, now we're just out here trying to spread this important message, especially now that we're going through this time of crisis and people need human connection on the best of days, but even more so during times like this. 
Mm, absolutely. And just um, going back to Genwell, how it's set up. So that's where you fix dates in place and people have to make the effort to put down tech and go out and is, is interact with people in their neighborhood or is there things in the city that are set up where they all go and get together or how, how does that look? Yeah, it's a great question. So what we've evolved into over the course of the last three years is we're really a 12-month awareness campaign that's trying to educate people about the importance of human connection. The reality is most of us were never educated on this because until the early 2000s, human connection used to to happen naturally, whether it was coming home from school and there was 10 kids ready to play footy or whatever sport you were into, or as a parent, you came home and you probably spent some time talking in the driveway, maybe having a beer or a coffee at the end of the day because we all had more time. And then, you know, with the advent of technology, all sorts of technology, not just the phone, not the computer, on-demand TV, 24-hour news channels, gaming, the reality is uh, it's a bit of death by a thousand cuts. And here we are 20 years later waking up to the fact that um, we didn't know that social connection was so important. Now it's been taken away from us. And our message is the research is very clear. It's the single largest thing that makes you happy reduces anxiety and depression, increases empathy, compassion, resilience, all things we can use more of in the world today, especially in times of crisis, strengthens your immune system and can help you live longer. And amazingly, none of us were ever educated on it. So we share that message 12 months of the year, tips, tools, research, and information to hopefully uh, get people to act in their own right in their own world to take action and start building healthy connection habits starting today. But twice a year, once in the spring and once in the fall, we want to catalyze people because what we do know is that when everybody participates in something at the same time, it reduces stigma and it makes it easier for people to participate. Those weekends are uh, chosen strategically. Uh, Suicide rates are highest in the springtime. Uh, I guess that's probably for the Northern Hemisphere, so it might be the opposite. Uh, for the southern hemisphere but in springtime becomes a challenging time as the temperatures get warmer there's social pressures now that we can see you know everybody living their human highlight reel on social media every day when you don't feel so inclined to go out and socialize the pressure of being able to watch the world live perfect lives uh, becomes even more of a struggle but there's a few other things. There's uh, certainly allergies pick up in the springtime, which creates uh, some, uh, some challenges for people. But knowing that that was the time of the year when suicide rates were highest, we selected a weekend that aligned with doing it on weekends when people needed it most. People also struggle with seasonal transition. So we do the fall as well. In the, in North, in the Northern Hemisphere, we come off our summers, which are, as we all know, summertime, you know, half the people working, the schedules are lighter, only half the traffic. So everybody's kind of living these beautiful lives. And you come back and you go back into school, you go back to work, the traffic gets busier, your schedule gets filled up, and all of a sudden you're back at the grindstone uh, working hard all over again. And so three weeks after we get back into that, routine, what we want to be is the catalyst that kind of interrupts you from settling back into your normal distraction pace and pressure to get you connected. Because as we head into those darker, cold days of the winter time, the fall and winter, we want to make sure that you have those social connections that will support you through, you know, those isolating days that we've all been through uh, in the past. 
hundred percent. And um, although I'm fortunate where I live now in Queensland, the winters are quite pleasant. But I remember growing up in the UK that in winter it was, you know, the the sun came up at just before nine o'clock in the morning, and it was down by sort of three thirty in the afternoon. And so you went to work in the dark, and you came home from work in the dark. And seasonal affective disorder is a, a very real thing in the UK. I imagine it might be the same in Canada. But I remember yep. that so well that that two weeks in Spain or Greece or wherever it is in the summertime is your guiding beacon for the rest of the year. You're just craving sunshine and you're craving being outdoors and being able to go and enjoy other people's company outdoors. And um, I think that's a wonderful thing. And, and I believe that um, particularly in Northern Europe as well, that's probably something that a lot of people could benefit from, certainly. Yeah, I think and when I listen to you, Ollie, one of the things I, and I think we've all heard this before, it's a shame that we, we always look forward to those two weeks of the year when we kind of have our, the Holy Grail, working 50 weeks of the year to get those two weeks when in actual fact, uh, you know, and I'm sure you're familiar with Blue Monday in uh, which January, I guess it's Jan, it might be January around the world, but they say Blue Monday, the third Monday in January is the most depressing day of the year or the saddest day of the year. Well, it's actually, you know, your saddest day of the year is going to be different than my saddest day of the year because we all live different lives. But it was actually a marketing campaign by a UK travel company to get us to book travel uh, at that time of year. And I think the point I'm trying to make is, wouldn't it be great if we could all stay connected and build those healthy relationships that even when we're going through those dark days of winter, that because we have the social support in our family and our friends, our neighbors and our colleagues, that we didn't just have to wait for those two weeks in Spain in the summertime where we could get away. And, and that's really what we're striving for is to keep people happy and healthy throughout the course of the year and not, you know, get to the point where we're only looking at a couple of weeks a year that's our escape or working Monday to Friday to get to the weekend. Mm. You know, I think we, and that's the world we are living in because we, we are working longer days, whether that's in the office or remotely, which is a challenge in itself. And then being connected 24 seven is certainly not helping people find the balance between, you know, contributing to something outside of ourselves and finding the balance of the things that make us happy and healthy as well. Mm. And in regards to obviously this, this podcast is the future of work industry and people, right? So we're looking forward as much as we can. Um, the relationship of tech with all of this. Now, when I did a previous interview that we were just talking about before, um, the first interview of this podcast series, Dr. Richard Hames, uh, I talked to him off camera afterwards and he knows some of the people that run companies in Silicon Valley. And he said, you know, their kids are not allowed tech before the age of 13. And the Waldorf School, which is the, the top school in Silicon Valley, where all of the company's heads kids go, they have a zero tech policy in the school, which is obviously incredibly ironic. Um, but what do you believe is the relationship between tech and our loss of ability to build these real social interactions and lasting relationships? You know, I guess, and, and there's lots of research that there's kind of two components to technology and the impact it's having on us. It's the emotional impact. I touched on that a little bit in regards to, you know, the emotional feeling that we get when we passively scroll through people living their human highlight reel and feeling like we can never keep up. You know, in the old days, as I, I say, when I'm, I'm speaking, I, I say, look, when I was a kid, my competitive set was the five people I could see out my front window. 
And once we went in after, you know, the lights went down or the night got dark, I didn't know what they did. And the reality is today, we're not just competing with the people that are our next door neighbors. We're competing with the world, including the Kardashians, the Jenners, every sports celebrity we could ever imagine. And that becomes a challenging challenge uh, mentally. And even, it's not just the youth. A lot of people, you know, well, the young people are struggling. It's like, no, no, no. The research shows all of us are struggling. Mm. Um, And then the second component is just time. You know, the average person, the research I've read recently is people combined screen time per day is now getting close to 12 hours a day. And as uh, as Adam Alter out of NYU uh, talks about in his TEDx, he said, uh, you know, at the end of the day, if we're sleeping seven to eight and we're on tech, you know, if it's now up to 12, well, that leaves you four hours a day. And if you have a job or go to school, there isn't a lot of time left for you to build those healthy connections and relationships that are actually going to keep you uh, healthy. Uh, so in my opinion, it really is, I wrote this, uh, I was writing an article the other day and it's, you know, we used to say death by a, a thousand cuts. To me, it's now disconnection by a thousand cuts. We are more disconnected than ever before, even though technology has allowed us to be more connected than ever before. And how ironic is that? Mm. I actually remember when I first got a mobile phone, I was at college. And up until that point, someone would stop by the house. I was living in a student house. So I wasn't awake for half the time anyway, but they'd either stop by the house (laughs) or they would phone the house phone. And I would obviously have to come to the phone. Then mobile phones came along. And I remember thinking at the time, this is the first time when someone can send you a text and you have the option not to respond to that text at that particular time. And not that I'm a rude person or anything like that, but this whole busyness thing, I'll be honest with you, that still happens where someone will send me a note and say, what about X, Y, or Z at the weekend? And I think I just can't get to that right now because I'm I'm in the middle of this and I know I've got to get the kids there later. Um, And then you end up getting back to them, but there's a gap there that perhaps didn't used to be there unless they physically came and saw you, you know, that's happened in a very short space of time. That's happened in just over 20 years, really, isn't it? Uh, Just under 20 years. So there's a huge acceleration of all of these issues, it looks like. And at what point do we, we're going to talk about COVID-19 in a second, but at what point do we say, look, we really need to throw some more resources at this to make sure that this is being managed appropriately. And I am going to focus on young people because they're the ones who are absorbing the world around them and don't have any context yet of how it really works. You know, at least we have some context that it used to be a different way. These generations now, this is just the way the world is, you know, I'm not really sure where it's going, you know? Yeah. Here's my perspective is uh, it's not going anywhere. And I do believe, you know, uh, we have a, a charity partner, Big Brothers Big Sisters, and we had the the CEO of uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters uh, Canada, uh, Toronto on uh, who did a video for us. And she talked about the brain development in young children when they don't have social connection which to me is the, uh, the contrary of, of too much uh, time on tech. We know that that time is having an effect on people. I've got a five and a half year old and we were, uh, after just being away up north, um, we were just commenting on now when we take the screen away from him after you know, an hour, there's anger issues and mm. you know, he's getting really upset. Mm. And you know, to your comment about uh, Silicon Valley, you know, 
when all the tech first came out, we only spoke about the positives. We spoke about the time saver. We spoke about communicating with people around the world, education, all the beautiful things that we thought technology would deliver to us. And unfortunately, what we're all talking about now is what is referred to as the unintended consequences. You know, nobody knew that we'd be scrolling through uh, social media. We didn't know about Instagram and Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and all these other things that have, all these platforms that have come out. And I think what we all, you know, to your point about putting more resources behind it, you know, I think you can already see that some of the platforms are feeling a little nervous when Instagram removed the likes the number of likes off of a platform. I think you can see, you know, when, when Mr. Zuckerberg was responding to Congress in the U.S. and they, they asked him, you know, would he change his business model if it was having a negative impact on, I, I think it was on society or on people. And I don't think he responded to the answer. Mm. The reality is, I think we can all pretty much clearly see that technology is having a negative impact on us as human beings. And we can't expect these platforms who are driven by, you know, bottom line results and growth and all the things that the capitalist economy has driven over the last little while, because if we count on them making all the positive changes, I think we're going to be waiting a long time. Mm. And so part of the reason behind the movement, Ollie, is about raising people's consciousness of the things that are preventing us from spending more time doing the things that will make us happier and healthier. So we've got a dilemma here. We were never educated on the importance of human connection, so we don't realize that that might be the simple answer to some of the challenges that we're facing, like increasing stress and anxiety in society. And we're not strong enough yet and aware and conscious enough yet to put down the phone, to counteract the teams of a psychological, you know, behavioral psychologists that are working in all these platforms. You know, we are in battle right now. And I believe we as a society need to awaken ourselves or enlighten ourselves or support each other, which is where I think the power of community really comes in. Because in the time that you and I have been having this conversation, I haven't thought about looking at a phone or turning on my screen or because when we're engaged in amazing conversations that we can, you know, chew on and think about and what do you think and how do I, well, those are the conversations that get us engaged, that build connections between people. But if we're not doing that because we're spending 12 hours a day on tech, well, you know, that's a bit of an issue. And I will, I will throw out, we're not an anti-technology campaign. We're not anti-anything. We're pro-human connection. We're about inspiring people by information and by catalyzing them around those moments in our lives that will make us happier and healthier by research, you know, just by hanging out with the people that, you know, you call a family member, a friend, a neighbor, or a colleague. And those are the relationships that will continue to give you the, the benefits because it's about building long-term healthy relationships with people and that's what we want to get people to do. I can sense the passion in you, Pete, and obviously you're the founder of it and you would have that natural passion, but I don't think uh, there's anybody who wouldn't be able to connect with your message there in some way. I think even the people who do spend 12 hours a day on their tech, deep down inside of themselves, there's probably some sense that it kind of feels like a guilty pleasure in some way. And why is the guilt there? Because they know it's not really how we're designed. So look, obviously we, we've got unprecedented times at the moment. We've got the free world going on to lockdown as well as other countries around the world that we might not necessarily have described as that. Nobody's ever seen this before. 
double-edged sword. We've got um, the health issue and we've got the economic issue. And of course, the, the potential byproduct of the economic issue is further social issues, of course. But looking at the lockdown itself, potentially I would say, and I welcome you to disagree with me, mate, potentially that's a, a great opportunity for your movement, I would believe, because A, people are going to be sat in their houses with their families and having the chance to reconnect again. And I've seen examples of friends of ours who are spending more time at home, obviously, and they're starting to structure their days where they, you know, we have a board game every day or every other day. Well, who has the time for that normally? You know, some people do, they make time for it, but many don't. And, and they're actually putting a timetable together of let's do things as a family. And the other thing I was going to say is it's an opportunity because even though it is technology-based, um, look at what we're doing here. You're on the other side of the world in a completely different time zone, and we can have a conversation like this. So what's your thoughts? And, and I suppose my question is, Pete, what's your message for people who might be watching or listening to this about um, how do we manage a lockdown situation and meet the intent of what your movement is? Yeah. It's a great comment, uh, uh, great, great question. We have our next GenWell weekend is coming up on May 1st, 2nd, 3rd, which is the weekend when we encourage people to make us the excuse, make us the catalyst to take action. And so our message for this upcoming campaign is going to be about connecting digitally, first and foremost, but also, you know, using physical distancing. But, you know, more importantly, Two weeks ago, if I was trying to explain to somebody, Ollie, what we were doing, nobody had the time to stop and listen. Yeah. And it's so odd that literally two weeks later, there is, uh, there might have been in the, you know, I get my Google alerts for isolation, loneliness, face-to-face connection, social interactions, social distancing, whatever terms we want to use. And there must have been 150 articles around the globe in the last 24 hours. Uh, one of the messages we always build these relationships before the next crisis has come. Well, it's here and it's probably bigger and worse than anybody could have imagined. And so in the short term, I think the immediate reaction from most people is, yeah, we probably do need a little more connection. So, you know, within our homes, yes, I do feel the need to get outside. So I'm going to go out and do a little physical distancing. You know, one of the couple of things that we're pushing right now through our uh, social platforms is sidewalk social. So head out to your driveway, go to the end of your driveway, set up a couple chairs and talk to your neighbors across the street beside you, but keep the six feet, you know, distance among you. We've got balcony banter. You know, if you're in a condominium or you're in a, an apartment building, come out on your balcony and talk to your neighbors and create those social occasions. Even though we can't do it in the traditional way of connecting face-to-face, there's still lots of ways for us to fill the need for human connection, even going through this crisis. But the main focus, and we've seen this happen in the last two weeks, and we've received emails from seniors saying, I finally engaged in digital technology, and wow, am I thrilled now that I can talk to people all the time without having to wait for my family to come by for a physical drop-in once a week. Mm-hmm. You know, the world is going to change because of this, uh, this crisis, and digital technology is probably going to take on more of the use that it was originally intended because people are going to need to connect with people. And, you know, whether it's seniors or whether it's connecting with family around the world, this was one of the beautiful benefits of digital technology. So I think initially, I think, you know, 
getting people comfortable with digital technology and connecting through it is important. But here's what my caveat to that is, is digital technology is a great supplement to human interaction, but it cannot replace human interaction. A hug, a kiss, a high five, an elbow bonk, a fist bump, those are things that have true emotional benefit to people and physical benefit. There's power in face-to-face conversations where you get to see the wrinkles of somebody's smile and the crinkle in their nose when they're laughing or you know, the immediate emotional connection to somebody when you're having a great conversation. Uh, two things. We are about to go through much more than a health crisis, as you touched on. And we are going to need more human interaction um, at some point, again, back face to face. The financial and the employment turmoil that's going to come as a follow this is going to require more people to count on each other than we've had to count on in our entire lifetime. You know, part of this movement was uh, inspired by my mom, who was from a little town in Northern Ireland who talked about the Second World War and getting through those challenging times by coming together with the people on her street. And, you know, whether it was for food or daycare or finding the next job or helping build something in a backyard or in a house or putting up a wall so you could put more kids into a single house, you know, in the time that I've lived on this earth, I'm 54 years old, I've never really been through a crisis. Yeah, there's been a couple high interest times, there's been a couple market crashes, but you know, did it really have a long-term impact? Not really. So here we are to our first war, you know, and that war is gonna be devastating, especially because our mindset is still based on what we've experienced for the course of our lifetime. And I think even more dramatically, is going to be the emotional impact of us going through this stress and anxious time. And on the other side of that, I think the, the inclination and the need, we as human beings, we have a human innate need to connect with other people. We are tribal by nature. And when we have this isolation time, and we also tie that into losing our job, financial struggles, You know, I know that the divorce rates went up in China during their isolation period because we're spending more time with people than, you know, we've probably spent with our families in years, decades. (laughs) And so there's going to be a lot of challenges for people. And what the research clearly shows is by connecting with people and having conversations, we can build coping strategies, of which this is one. We can find solutions that help us deal with the challenges we're facing, and we can build the resilience that will help us through these challenging times. The unfortunate part for some will be, if you don't have those pieces in place before the crisis, it may be difficult for you to find that and make those connections now. That's why those helplines in in Canada, we have kids help phone. You know, there's lots of coronavirus, COVID-19 hotlines right now because people are struggling. Mm. And, you know, our goal was to get people to connect beforehand. But if through this uh, challenge, we get to a more connected, more understanding, more empathetic and caring society, Ollie, to me, I, I would never say, I wouldn't wish this on my worst enemy. But I think on the other side of this, we may find some beautiful things coming out of this very unfortunate, challenging, deadly, and just a you know, terrible time. 
Hundred percent agree. I said the similar thing to a friend the other day, which was um, that we wouldn't wish this on anybody. But if there's ever a chance to stop the engine to do your maintenance, it's now because you can't often do your maintenance while the engine's running, um, and which probably feeds into your point somewhat there. I was going to ask you a question about the demographics of the people that get involved with what Gemwell Project does, because obviously we all know a whole heap of different types of people. And my heart is going out at the moment to the people that are going on lockdown that don't have their partner and kids that, you know, might not have their parents around anymore. They might have some relatively strong work relationships, but there's a lot of people out there who do live solo and they're quite used to what's going on. But I'm wondering whether this is potentially going to compound it for them because they've lost the choice in, in a lot of countries now to be able to go out and just get some form of interaction that they don't normally get. Is the demographic, I mean, it, do you guys uh, analyze that, that data? Is it that it tends to be middle-aged people or younger people or people who live alone or who are the kinds of people that really get involved with your projects? Well, it's funny. Um, it is, it's across all demographics, but I would say that the people who actually, because we ask people to register a pledge. So go on to genwellproject.org and register your pledge on Genwell weekend to step up and say, I'm gonna get people connected. And we ask you a few questions of, you know, how many people, what are you gonna do? Is it business related or is it my community? You know, so we try to identify who it is people are getting. And only anecdotally will I say that it tends to be the people in the middle who are taking the action. And I think that's pretty natural, which is, you know, the seniors believe in everything that we're doing but they're less likely to be technology friendly and register and do all those things. And young people, although we speak at schools all the time, and the reaction is, you know, we have four colleges right now that are all volunteering their time on different aspects of the campaign. Because when we go in and speak, every kid in those colleges goes, I need what you're talking about. I feel lonely and isolated. You know, I think the, the stats are 60% of students in Canada in universities it might have been universities and colleges, uh, admit to being lonely and isolated on a regular basis throughout the course of their school year. You know, we know that 50% of people don't know their next door neighbor's name. We know that, you know, 73% of people go to work every day feeling uh, disconnected from the work that they're doing. You know, we know that we entertain inside our homes 50% of the time we did in 1990. The reality is we are spending less time across all demographics and technology is part of it, but you know, it's longer work days, it's longer commute times, it's financial pressure, it's more divorces. And to your point, you know, now 28% of Canadians live alone. And I did have a conversation. We're doing some Instagram lives right now and some Facebook lives. And the other day we did one with a young uh, gentleman who's a, an ambassador for the mental health community in Egypt. And uh, we had a conversation and a girl that I knew from high school happened to tune in and sent a few notes and mentioned that she was struggling with living alone, uh, doesn't have a partner, recently left her job and is now isolated through coronavirus. And she said, look, I'm, you know, I'm Zooming people, I'm having FaceTime chats, but it's not the same. She misses the human interaction with people as a very social person, as she described it herself. I think that community is going to have some challenges. I think young people will have it, maybe the isolation that comes from being on screens all the time 
and certainly a message we've heard a lot, and I think I've seen it in some of the news clips in Australia, is we've got seniors that are being locked down in facilities who literally, without human interaction, it has negative mental and physical health impacts uh, and pretty significant and pretty quickly. And so we're all getting involved. But at a time like this, we've almost shifted from our regular scheduled program, if I you know, phrase it that way. We're in an intense time of looking out for each other, you know, more so than ever before because of this crisis. And our message coming up to the next GenWell weekend will be, think about one more person that you haven't spoken to who would benefit from your outreach. And if everybody in our country and everybody in Australia thought about one more person they could reach out to that they hadn't since the start of being locked down, I think we could make a, a dramatic impact on people's lives just by making that one extra phone call, that one extra Zoom call, whatever the platform is. So it is all of us. We are, you know, we use the hashtag in this together. We are all in this together, whether you talk about the health, the financial, or the isolation and loneliness. Because telling, I, I, I love to say, Ollie, telling seniors that they're lonely and isolated doesn't help the seniors. Mm. We actually need to tell the rest of us that the seniors are lonely and isolated so we can wake up and say, geez, I should call my grandma or my grandfather or my aunt or my mom or whoever it is. But again, it's about raising people's consciousness of, hey, that person is waiting for your call and waiting for your visit. But in that crazy world that we were living in, it was tough for people to find the time. And it's nobody's fault, but now it's time to raise the awareness and the consciousness so that we actually make the time to, especially for those who came before us and who guided us through our childhoods and made sure that we knew what nature was and how to play outside, you know, hey, let's make sure that we, uh, we pass along some of that incredible wisdom that they hold in their heads that we don't take the time to actually download from them uh, when we don't see them enough. Mm. Wonderful words, mate. And yeah. is there any um, is there any intention to bring Genwell to other countries around the world? Is it just in Canada at the moment, or is there plans to expand it? Well, the goal, you know, the platform is set up to be a global movement, so anybody can register from around the world because there is no cost. We built the platform, we built the entire movement to be a zero cost. We are. Uh, you know, a zero cost, free access, you know, open source, all of our content anybody can use. And the reason was, is I believe that this message is too important to put a price tag, you know, hey, Ollie, I want you to register your pledge to get connected. I don't want you to have to put in 25 bucks, especially now with people losing jobs and financial pressure. We need to hear this message and it shouldn't have a financial barrier to it. We built the platform so it could be, you know, used anywhere. We've been in 10 countries around the world. We've been in Australia. We've been in Japan. We've been in the UK, France. We've been in Belize. We're all over the US where people have just found us on the internet and believed in the movement and said, you know, I'm going to register my intention to get connected because I believe in the human connection movement. And I think that's what's inspiring to me and what keeps us going because the business model was built on finding corporate partners who understood how important this message was and that they could be associating their brands to it. Molson Coors, who's a beer company here in Canada, has been a partner for the last three campaigns. And we just love the fact that, you know, not only does it tie to the occasions where we might enjoy a, a refreshing beverage, 
but more importantly, they've made a corporate commitment as a corporate citizen to say, hey, we believe in this movement and we want to help this organization spread it across the country. Excellent. Well, I'll sing it far and wide. And uh, once again, the website address is uh, gemwellproject.org. Yep. www.gemwellproject.org. And I'll put that in the show notes as well. Uh, Pete Bombachi, I just want to say thanks so much, mate, for your time today. The world needs more people like you. I genuinely believe that. And the message that you're putting out there is completely practical. It's completely timely. I believe that everybody to some extent can identify with it and could benefit from it. I don't think we're going to see the back end of the overall crisis for some time. So what I'll ask you is, will you come back, mate, and have another chat with us one day? Ollie, it would be my pleasure. And uh, honestly, to, to get the support of people like yourself from around the world who see the simplicity of the message and the ease of us all taking action and as we like to say, you know, making the world a happier and healthier place, one face-to-face conversation at a time, what I want to say thank you for is the opportunity to spread the message with your community, because it's only through this as a, you know, grassroots movement, it's only through opportunities like this that we're able to spread the message. So I, I want to thank you. And the minute you want me to come back, it'd be my pleasure to get on this, uh, this uh, platform again and uh, have another inspiring conversation. Thank you, sir. Well, thanks very much for uh, listening today. This is the Outback Incubator. You can join us next time. My name is Oliver Kelly. And remember, there is always a better way.